0: Welcome to the First Ever Podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Balm. If you're new here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. My guest this week is Connor Murphy of the band Foxing. They have a brand new record coming out called Draw Down the Moon on August 6th. So I figured, hey, what a fantastic opportunity to sit down and talk to Connor. Uh, I've been around him a few times. We, uh, we've we met uh, probably ooh, five years ago at this point. Um, but yeah, haven't haven't had a, a proper uh, amount of time to really sit down and get to know him. So this is uh, very enjoyable for me, and I hope you like it too. Uh, the show is sponsored by Rootless Coffee. Rootless is a small batch roaster out of Flint, Michigan, making high-end coffee with bags designed by some of the comic industry's rising stars. Collaborating with artists, bands, brands, nonprofits, wrestlers, comedians, and more, Rootless is the punk rock gateway to craft coffee. Easy to understand and delicious roast options. Listeners get 20% off their order using the code HARDTIMES at checkout when they visit rootlesscoffee.com. Any size, any grind, any time. Break free from boring. All right uh what else can i add to this before uh, before i let you hear this conversation oh if you haven't subscribed to the patreon i would really appreciate that head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever patreon some user submitted questions to connor and uh the day th- of this release uh, you'll be able to log on to the patreon and hear his answers to those submitted questions and uh it also just supports the show you know, if you want to throw three bucks here and there, it just helps, you know, as, as the podcasters say, keep the lights on. Um, and what else is up? Um, yeah, I mean, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast just in general, whether it's on uh, Spotify or Apple, that really does help a lot. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for your time. As always, here is my conversation with Connor Murphy of Foxing. <coughs> Connor, thanks so much for hanging out with me. Uh, this This nice. What day is it today? Is it Thursday? Thursday it afternoon. Thursday. Yeah, yeah. How's uh how, how's everything treating you? You start. You're starting the full like new album rollout stuff. So are you kind of doing a lot of press right now, or what?
1: Yeah. Uh, yes and no. I mean, it, it's been it's been fantastic, but it hasn't been any kind of like onslaught of just you know. I don't know, we just announced that there is an album, so um, I think it's just kind of rolling in like, hey, do you want to talk about it uh kind of stuff, but nothing, nothing too crazy so but it it's all been going really well.
0: do you get to are you in the kind of band that um you can kind of divide up interviews or is it usually all on you
1: um we <sighs> That, it's sort of just me, but it's really a thing of like, depending on the interview, it, what, what usually happens is like, um, it's easier for me to field questions about what Eric does in terms of like production or what John does in terms of drums versus them answering questions about like lyrics or Fair. song meanings, you know, yeah. it, it's just, it, you know. So for that reason I think it's we just default to like me doing stuff but um I think they they can answer things it's just a matter of like it might be a little weird. Uh oh no I to- I, I totally get it yeah. Um
0: it's funny like I I always try to find things for the other guys to do when we're doing press stuff. Like, I'm always just, yeah, like, why don't you throw that one th- their way? And then, you know, it, it's, then they, exactly, then they get hit, like, so when you're, so with the lyrics on this record, and then yeah. they're like, well, I can't really, I'm not the one to speak on this. So it usually all defaults to it, me.
1: Yeah, that and I feel like that's kind of how it tends to go with us, because, I, and it's not like, none of us, you know, have an ego about any of that stuff. I think it's sure. just really a thing of, like, The reality of it is there's so much for, especially for like Eric to talk about, you know, he produced our whole album and, uh, you know, had a huge hand in mixing it and writing it and everything. So there's so much for him to talk about, but the, you know, there's only places like tape op or something where it would make sense, you know, where they're actually going to ask real questions about production as opposed to like, what was it like producing or mixing in a pandemic? You know, that kind of. (laughs) <laughs> Shit. where It's like, that's something I can answer. It's like, it was hard. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Sucked. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, yeah. So this, show, the show's like, you know, all about first experiences
0: and things like that. So, um, it, you know, you and I have, uh, been around each other, hung once or twice, a couple times. Um, I remember the first time I saw Foxing was opening for, I think it was me without you at maybe the Roxy. It I was. That sounds, yeah. 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 Um, And then uh, I remember we hung at a uh, Riot Fest. That's right. I think that was 2016 because it was the day uh, one of our records had come out. So it was like an exciting, fun day.
1: Yeah, yeah. I Um, remember it very well because I watched you guys play just one of the best festival sets I think I've ever seen. Oh, that's so nice of you. I appreciate that. That's awesome. Um, So yeah,
0: uh, I know the band's based out of St. Louis. Are you from like Born and Raised St. Louis?
1: Yeah, like right outside of St. Louis, St. Charles, that's what it's called, but um yeah, this is this is our stomping grounds for uh coming up in in the St. Louis music scene. There wasn't uh we're essentially St. Charles is like a suburb of okay. St. Louis. Um so uh, Eric and I are from the suburb. John is actually from St. Louis. Um but yeah, we this is this is really where we're from.
0: So like growing up was I mean all the venues that I'm all familiar with in St. Louis had they are they like venues that have been around since you were a kid you know like the Foo Bar and and uh god what are some of the other ones I know Well
1: I, okay so yes Foo Bar has been around for a long time there's um there's also the Firebird which used to be the Bluebird Oh I'm sure you've played that with, Yes what's with the name change why did new ownership just needed I a don't. different bird and maybe I-, I wasn't too plugged in. I-, I saw a bunch of shows at the Bluebird when I was very young. Um, I I started when when I started like getting into the music scene and playing. I was like twelve, um, mm-hmm. and like joined Eric's band. He's he was he's a year older than me, so he was really like you know, I don't know, bringing me out to all of these places. So like I I knew them as like the Bluebird that turned into the Firebird. Uh, did, I don't know if you guys have ever played the Billiken Club. Ooh, um, that one's—I've never heard of that one. That's the St. Louis University, uh, like you know, college venue. That was like a huge. That—that's where I saw some of like the best shows I've ever seen. Um, and then, and then there's like you know the pageant, which is like right you played there. Um, that's you know we're actually playing there for the first time uh, in August, and it's our first. First time ever playing this place and like I worked there is like oh, working wow. the door there and everything like it's it's a huge deal that we're doing it. We're very excited about it. Congratulations. Like, thank you. Uh I, I don't think uh, it's you know we'll see how it sells uh, ticket wise but is like, it like it's a, still really cool to play it. Yeah. Is it um, like a record release show? Yeah. Yeah. So we've never sold. It's like fourteen hundred people mm-hmm. fit in there, so we've never sold that amount of tickets to any show that we've ever done. So we're very, very nervous about it. Um, well, look, you ha- what you have on your side <laughs> is, uh, you're you're a hometown hero band. I'm
0: just gonna assume that.
1: Um, oh, well, that you'd be wrong in assuming that because it's a we live in a really weird city for that kind of stuff. It's like it's oh. not it's not what you would think. It's not exactly like um, you know, uh, like. St. Louis is not our most attended city. It's very weird. Um, mm. Well, oh, but one other venue I was going to bring up to because I'm yeah. genuinely curious if you ever played at Lemp Art Center. Did you ever play there?
0: Uh, that also doesn't sound familiar, but don't quote that, me.
1: That was like the DIY venue in St. Louis. Um, so and, in our like more DIY early, like rough
0: it days, we I mean, we'd always still just play the foo bar because it was like, right. such, you know, a smaller venue. They always helped sure. out. Like, punk, punk, punk bands, so.
1: That makes sense. I mean, yeah. we, I think we were in a world that was just a few years after you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we were doing our tours, it was very basement stuff, like, barely any actual, like, bars or anything. Um, Foo Bar specifically is, like, uh, like, yeah, it, it, it makes perfect sense. It, like, it works really well for touring bands. Um, but for all, I feel like, really I don't know that that's where like any kind of um like emo or like avant-garde touring band noise artists and stuff would play so that was kind of our home for a while it's a really really weird DIY space (laughs) until actually until we started booking shows ourselves at uh like a loft that Josh uh our our old bass player lived at and like we we made kind of venues (laughs) out of places uh so we kind of ran like DIY stuff in St. Louis for a little while. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, w- one, one
0: more quick note about why I think your show at the pageant is going to do well. <laughs> uh, because we're at the end of a, well, hopefully at the end of this <laughs> pandemic. So people are just excited to do anything and go I... anywhere. So I think it's going to be like, yo, Foxing's doing a record release show. I want to say that I was there. I'm buying a ticket. I'm going.
1: Yeah, I I so hope so. And I I feel the same way. But as you know, and as everybody that's trying to book shows and uh, plan releases and figure out, you know, how, whatever, it it is so hard right now because you know that it's a new world. You know, like, you know, that post-pandemic touring is like truly going to be like your first tour that you ever do. And it's going to be so weird. But you don't know what type of weird. You don't know if it's going to be like, you know, there's people saying it's like, it's the new Roaring Twenties and it's going to be this huge, everybody's going to shows, the live music industry is going to blow up. And then there's other people like, yeah, but also maybe people don't have money to go do that. And whatever it is, it's like, even on our end, we're trying to put our like um, our band and crew together for it. And like, you know, it's all totally new Everybody everybody is like, I'm not doing music anymore because the pandemic, now I have like a different job and this is no longer, <laughs> no, I don't do this. Uh, so we have like a new tour manager and a new front of house and it's like, you know. Yeah, know. this is all very relatable. A lot of
0: the people, <laughs> yeah. a lot of the, because we have, a, by the time this airs, our tour will, will have been announced. We're, we're supporting Thrice. Um, it's like oh, us. Oh, well, that's th- going to be so great. It's us, Thrice, and self-defense family. And, oh. uh, and, uh, yeah, it should be fun. And, but it's like, yeah, like a lot of the people that we normally tour with, um, either. Yeah. Like got, you know, um, reliable jobs yeah. or, <laughs> or like, or just, you know, maybe are already attached to something else and, and it's just, yeah, it's hard to make decisions. And then, um, we were trying, are you doing a headliner? Yeah.
1: Okay. And you know, probably like summer of next year or something we don't (laughs) okay so
0: like we were you know to be transparent we were really trying to do a headliner and then it was really difficult because it was at the time when everyone was basically it was like betting on a horse where it's like well who's gonna get the right month exactly yeah all of that it was really stressful and then we always have I don't know if you if you uh if, if Foxing goes through this, but it's always really difficult for us to find a direct support band.
1: Always. Because, yeah.
0: Because like you know, for listeners for like inside baseball, most of the time direct support bands are likely big enough to just headline themselves. And then you could also potentially with agents or whatever, like get into sort of a pissing contest, whether it should be a co-headline, all this sorts of stuff. So, like, it's usually pretty difficult. And um, so we were kind of going through some of that. And then this thrice tour came our way. And we looked at this as like, though, yes, we had a record that came out last year. We haven't been able to tour on it. We would love to just headline off of it Mm -hmm. Um, because we don't know what this first time out is going to feel like maybe we should just support and have the pressure off us, off of us because we don't that, know how weird it's going to be.
1: That makes so much sense. And I feel like you made the right call, especially, and it makes me furious. Your record infuriated me, um, not the record <laughs> itself, but the just the idea of it. It is my favorite record you guys have made. I think it is wow, thank you. fucking phenomenal. And it just, it made me so sad. There was so many records that came out Uh, in 2020 that just, it was like, oh my God. Like, I don't know if, you know, Bartiz. uh, Yeah, yeah, he's been on the show. Sweet, sweet person. Oh, okay. Yeah, Yeah. so Bartiz's record, you know, it's like this should be a insane debut that, you know, is just like a a whole new world, Uh, but it's, you know, you're stuck at home and nobody can go do this. So it's like, you have to trust that people care enough to like witness a release show you know a year and a half after the fact and it's like that just it makes me so sad because it's like I don't trust uh humans enough to think that they would be able to have to retain the attention that long uh so I I mean I I totally understand where you're coming from and I I think that that is you know there's the same kind of thing that we were doing where we like we set our date like pretty early on of like August and we really like we did that before like the vaccinations were really underway or anything. And it was like, man, I don't know. It could be like the exact perfect time to do this, or it could be like we might, I don't know. It might never come back. We, we have no idea. Uh, Truthfully. We got, yeah, we got pretty lucky that like it's happening around the time that like actually when shows are really underway. And there's enough time beforehand where like, <laughs> I mean, it sounds mean but it's like a, the other bands are going to like uh test it out totally <laughs> in like July yeah. so that by the time we do it it's like okay we'll know if it's supposed to be like ma- everyone's wearing masks or right socially distance or whatever i don't know
0: yeah there was the funny talk i'm sure you guys all made the joke too where it's like yeah we all want a tour but we don't want to be the first oh
1: of <laughs> course i that is my god like the amount of times in our like you know we have like a slack channel that we're like where we'll talk about whatever uh everything related to the band and like there the amount of times that somebody's like are we gonna get in trouble if we do that like you know we'll announce that we just announced this show at like the pageant uh for the record release thing and we're like are we gonna get in trouble for that you know like it is immediately like jump to Everybody's yeah. gonna be mad at us, but well, because the thing is, nobody is. Everybody's no, like, we get it. We get that this is nobody knows what the fuck is happening. So like, you're good.
0: Exactly. I mean, it was, it was so we had announced that we were doing uh, the coheating Cambria cruise, uh, which we're not doing now because of the Thrice tour. What? We had to we had to drop it. But like, um, I'm so furious that they didn't ask us after you um, guys dropped. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I feel like someone really missed an opportunity. To, but it might. What oh when is because it's a it's a, the end of October they actually still might need to replace a band or two so uh, you know I'll, I think I'll, we're I'll gonna be your way <laughs> I think we're gonna be gone for that anyway uh, uh, but what I was gonna say is like you know we if the thing was already sold out because it got delayed from the year before so like us being added to it didn't do anything to help the thing because yeah. it had it was already sold out but like that's the best feeling right, so we got added no so pressure we, we announced that we were on it but it was in like. Uh, March and oh, the amount God. of people that just like jumped at us. And I'm just like, yo, this is in October. We don't know yeah. what the world's going to be like. Also, this cruise is not going to happen if it's going to be exactly.
1: unsafe. <laughs> yeah. Well, but also, I think there's something because we, we do this, you know, uh, Eric is usually the person on our like Slack channel that's like, are we going to get in trouble? And the thing that, uh, like Joe, our manager usually chimes in with is like, if this is not going to be safe, you're gonna drop it. Like, right? It's okay to announce that. Th- like your thing with the cruise, it's like you would drop off of it if it wasn't going to be safe. Like, no fucking sweat. It's yeah. all good. Like, and that's I think something that people need to realize is like, you know, just announcing something. The amount of times that I'm sure you did this as well of like rescheduling shows over and over and over again. Yeah, and like either announcing or not announcing, but like, uh. It's like, it's all good. We're not going to do it if everybody's going to be coughing on each other and giving each other COVID. Like, this is... Yeah. It's going to be curious to see what the... You know, it's it's
0: a whole conversation. I'm sure you could spend two hours on this podcast even talking about it. But it's yeah. like... But, you know, for like a, the kind of music that uh, we play and a lot of our friends play, it's like... You know, us vocalists, we're kind of patient zero for germ spreading. <laughs> so it's like, I, it's uh, so when I got vaccinated, like I had zero side effects. Like I was completely fine for both shots. No mm-hmm. issues at all. And, you know, uh, I was make you know, the joke's been made. It's just like, yeah, well, I probably have the strongest immune system from the amount of <laughs> germs that have been put in my body for like 12 years. The amount of, of, of mics mic. that
1: I've been licking for <laughs> yeah. 10 years now. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Uh yeah, we uh we could we could continue the actual uh talk about you now. So um (laughs) I was curious what was the when you were growing up? Um I mean you just mentioned that you you started playing in a band when you were 12 in the in a band when you were 12, which is wild. But um I'm curious (laughs) what the first music you connected with uh was when you were young.
1: So when I was really young, um I I think the first I would say the first artists that I got like into into were uh, like Weird Al and Weezer because um, those were my brother was super into them. Uh, he's ten years older than me, and my sister's five years older than me. So it's kind of this weird thing of like trickling down uh, music interests, um, where they would make me like a, a you know a mix CD that I would put on my Walkman or something um, or my Discman, right. Uh and Yeah, Weird Al, I connected with real hard. Like, uh, Dare to be Stupid was like my favorite record for a long time. And then, and then, uh, oh, also around that time, uh, They Might Be Giants was like huge to me. Um, And then slowly after that, I think I got into like Nirvana and Foo Fighters uh, and, you know, kind of the more like classic, grungy kind of stuff. Um, And then a little bit of like Blink 182 some 41 pop punk stuff uh, trickled in. Um, and that, I think that started to be the time where I became a little bit independent from my siblings, yep. um, which is also around the time that I met Eric, uh, who he and the rest of that uh, first band, uh, that band was called Torchlight Red. Um, they, uh, they got me into like Seeger Rose and Radiohead and uh arcade fire and like just all these you know indie rock and post rock bands um explosions in the sky you know mars that Alpha, was, those kind of things and
0: those were when you were about like 12 yeah so pretty, like it's pretty heady music for for not even a teenager yet you know well
1: totally and it was uh, so <laughs> it was a sibling thing from them where the drummer of our band his older brother was in high school and like getting us into all getting him into all those things, and then like it was this thing of like if you're not listening and understanding radiohead like you're a child kind of feeling, and I was the youngest in the band, so I was kind of like I have to understand this stuff mm-hmm. um but I will say I think like yeah, that was around the time that like I actually it wasn't just like passive listening to things it was like I was actually studying like music and going like. I want to make music that is like Radiohead or like uh, Sigur Ros. Um, I think those two bands were like the really the first bands that I had heard that I was like, I want to make music like this. But yeah, what was uh, what, what are I'm curious because Radiohead's one of these
0: bands that that uh, it's it's always fun to ask people like what their favorite record from this band is. Yeah, you know because it's like it, they span so many different styles and genres and whatever. Um, what is your favorite Radiohead record?
1: So I was introduced to Radiohead with this really weird, but the song Life in a Glass House from Amnesiac. Mm -hmm. That was the first uh, song from them that I had ever heard. And so that song is like really the one to me. So Amnesiac is like my nostalgic favorite album. Uh, And then, but that being said, the first, like I wasn't like um, paying attention when Hail to the Thief came out. Mm-hmm. So in rainbows was such a big deal to me because it was one of the first records that I cared about the release of it. it so one of the first records where I was paying attention when it was being released. And if I, I'm, I know that you know this, but like the, the whole pay what you want thing for, uh, in rainbows. Oh, right. I forgot, I forgot that they did that. Yeah. It was such a big deal. It just revolutionized everything to me. Um, and it was so weird. I went to this Catholic school, and we had this like, uh, uh, like, I don't know, some weird Catholic TV thing that would play in the mornings. Um, just, I don't know if your high school did anything like this, but it, it's no. But but keep going. I'm fascinated. <laughs> you, you know what I'm? Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? It's kind of like there's like a weird morning show that would happen on the TV during like homeroom. Okay. So uh, whatever, and they would it would always be like dumb shit like you know some Catholic related thing. Uh but for one time it was like, and now to music news, the band Radiohead is putting out their record. And guess what? It's uh you can pay whatever you want for it. And it was happening like I was like, I know that band. And like looking around, it's like no nobody else gives a shit about this. But like that is crazy. Like that's how I learned about it. And I just became obsessed with like how that album was rolling out, they did like spectrograph stuff, like Aphex Twin style things. And from there, I felt like I I really got into not just the music, but like how it was being presented uh, and learning about uh, Tom York with like Kid A being obsessed with all of this, uh, you know, uh, like filter house stuff or like uh, experimental electronic music and like how that was influencing a kind of like rock band. And that's like, to this day, it's like exactly the blueprint that we follow of like, how do we have our, you know, whatever you want to call it, emo rock thing that we do? And how do we actually let these other outside influences like really hit us and attach themselves to our music? So it was a very, that album specifically is my, actually my favorite and uh, like meant so much to me. Sure. Sure. Oh, that makes so much sense, and and I can completely <laughs> see it now that I'm thinking about it. With with
0: what your band does, how how that trickles in as an influence, because um, yeah, it's like I remember when the first record came out. It very much, uh, it it felt familiar, but it felt like band, a band doing it. I don't. I, I hate. To, I mean, it sounds blandish, like very creatively, but like you know, <laughs> there was some there was something very different about what that Albatross record did. You know, like it it felt. Uh, to use the word heady again it felt very heady for 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 the especially for um for that time too because there was i mean i think like that record kind of came out around the end of um band, like bands like algernon had stopped playing and stuff like that like a lot of the more uh sort of twinkly stuff but like the fact that there was ele- some elements of that in what you were doing but it was like way more expansive and it was way more just big you know
1: well, and I think that those bands really influenced us. Those are the bands that we were around and kind of like, um, you know, that DIY scene that I was kind of talking about before of like very like the basement people yeah. that we were around, like jo- Joie de Vie and like the, you know, Count Your Lucky Stars people. Like yeah, that was like who we were kind of playing with. And so in a lot of ways, that was like this sort of the, the core of what we were doing. Um, and then it was the the influences for like the albatross for instance where like um on my end at least i was really into uh wanting to make something that was like sufjan stevens illinois most serene republic uh like An- anathalo um beirut you know like these kind of more orchestral indie rock things or arcade fire is another one mm-hmm. um that is, that was more kind of like group vocal back and forth kind of stuff, or like kind of like clap or, uh, uh you know, trump, trumpet stuff, orchestral things. Uh, and so that was the stuff that invaded like what we were doing, as opposed to all of the other records, uh, that we do where it's a different thing that is like what yeah. we're really into at the time. Uh, so that's, I, I think that's like the, that was the, um, like the roadmap for everything we did afterwards. Uh, totally. Like we do a core thing and we write like these core songs, but then we let all of these other things influence the way that they're actually presented and uh, finished.
0: Right. And it's funny. I feel like for some bands that could be dangerous, you know, where like, where it's like, Oh, you spent maybe a little too much time trying to, trying to pile on to what you were doing, but sometimes it works very well and and i think
1: uh i think your band has been one of the cases of it working very well i thank you for saying that i i think that it's been to our detriment at times and like definitely not worked for us um and i think that i the biggest thing is that i think that we've created an environment for people to say i like this one record and the other ones i despise uh which is makes total sense and like when somebody says like i only like your first record or only like, you know, our, uh, the last one we put out near my God. It's like, there's a lot of people that are like, I like this one and none of the other shit you've done. And it's like, that makes total sense because it's different from the other ones. There was different, we were trying to do something way different, but I think the, uh, the reason why it might work the way that you're talking about it is because it's not something. It's something that we did from the beginning was like, we're never going to make the same thing twice. And we're going to intentionally change it up drastically each time. Uh, As opposed to like, you know, I feel like for instance, like if Touche now made like a, let's say like a, a, a poppy electronic album or something, you know, like that would be so jarring to so many people. And then you would have some people that would be like, this is fucking awesome. I'd probably be one of them. I want you to make that record. But like for some people it would be like, no fucking way this is bullshit i hate this uh and it's it's, it's kind of like ceremony like how ceremony has and, done yeah. something similar yeah yeah totally. or even like uh uh title fight doing hyperview sure was like that was a thing which i love that album i think is great uh and i never understood why people were so against it and so weird about it um because it's funny too
0: because I feel like that record has come around for a lot of people too, which yeah, I think that's when you know that you've really made something special. And I and I don't know how you look back on, you know, you you guys have done this is your fourth record coming out. Um, yep. so like, do you find do you take some sort of like weird kind of pride in like when someone is like turned off to a record but then into another record, or is it or is it like kind of like, oh man, damn it. Cause there's something that's kind of fun. You like, you can kind of tell even I'm sure when you're performing live where you're like, okay, so, so these people are into this, these people are into this, <laughs> you know, like it, it, I'm sure it becomes kind of almost entertaining at some point to sort of see which, what clicks and what doesn't with people.
1: It's entertaining. And there, I wouldn't say we take pride in it. I think I take criticism pretty uh, tough. Like I, I know okay. that about myself that I'm like a, I'm pretty uh, thin skinned when it comes to like criticism stuff, Um, just because I just, I think the things that like, I I know how much work we put into things and how much um, we care about them. And then when somebody says like, this is garbage, I'm like, it's hard for me to really, I understand. I think anyone,
0: anything, anyone feels that way. And it's, and I'm sure you're like me, it's tough not to read the comments sometimes.
1: Oh, of course. Yeah. I read all (laughs) that shit. And like, I, and it's really like, I think we do a good job as a band of, like, uh, making light of it all. Um, for our second album, we got a review from uh, Anthony Fantano. Uh, that was, like, the most scathing thing I've ever heard about anything I've done. And he he even, like, categorized it on another video as being one of the worst records of 20-whatever year, 2014. And it was so hard to hear because especially like the biggest thing that he was like, fuck this band was because of my voice. And I was like, man, like, Oh, this is like, and it really bummed us out. But it was, uh, it was pretty quickly that as a band, we kind of came around and we were like, you know what? He didn't fucking get it. Like, it's not even just like, he's wrong. He's right on some things. It was like I, I think like kind of an intelligent review in some ways, but for the most part, it's like, you know what? He's like referencing all of these post rock bands, and this wasn't a post rock record. It wasn't meant to be. So we're okay. you know what? Fuck him. It was like the kind of attitude by the end of it. And I mean, I'm all scream from the from the rooftops. <laughs> Fuck that guy. I, I cannot
0: stand how he reviews bands. And he's been nice on some records. He wasn't very nice on our last one. But like. Uh, when I decided I was over it was when he reviewed a Me Without You record and and made fun of Aaron's singing voice. Oh
1: man! And I'm like,
0: I'm like, what? What? That's not Like, that's that's not being a music critic. That's being
1: a bully. So, like, honestly, you know, eat shit and you're well. And and also, we got. I think the other thing that we propped ourselves up with, and what we kind of came around with, and this applies not just to him, but to all kind of uh, scathing criticism, whether it be from a journalist or from a, you know, a comment on Reddit or something. It's the one real thing is like, you know what? Fuck them. We are not like, we're not invading your world. We're not on the radio. We're not in your favorite movies or commercials or anything. We make like no money. We're not like, you don't have to deal with us. You've sought us out and now, and you hate it. Great. Like, you know, we're not winning a Grammy or anything like calm down. Uh, And I think that's like the biggest, the biggest thing that like helps me at least, uh, like come around on these things. I spiral for a second and then I'm like, actually, you know what? There's enough people that really like this. And it's totally not this, like, uh, I don't know. Like, it's not, it's not something that is overhyped. You know, like if it is hyped in any way, it's in a tiny community. That's what I that's what always bothers me about like when somebody's like, I don't get the hype on on uh, this band. it's like the hype is so fucking small. It's like there's like maybe a hundred people talking about this <laughs> like you're acting as if it's something that's like you know pitchfork is like obsessed with this record and like uh you know Rolling stones putting you on the cover or something it's like and you I know, think that that's
0: out. and I think that that's a product especially of this last year that we've had. Where like this the small you know the thing that seems like just such a microcosm is like you know to that person because they're being loud on the internet it's the biggest thing in the entire world so like I'm hoping that once we all are allowed to fully go outside this (laughs) it's tempered a little bit Um, I was actually curious when did uh when did you start playing an instrument like what was your first instrument
1: uh I started when I was seven Uh, I was playing. I think my first instrument was uh, I was like in percussion, and then really quickly jumped over to trumpet. Uh, I wanted to jump over to French horn, um, but uh, I had to learn. I had to do trumpet first. That was like the rule in uh, beginning band was like nobody gets to play. Like you can't start playing tuba or oboe or like the more difficult instruments. You actually have to play like the ones that lead into it. So if you wanted to play tuba, you had to play baritone first. If you wanted to play oboe, you had to play clarinet first and and so on. So French horn was what I really wanted to do. And I had to do trumpet, then marching French horn, then French horn.
0: Wow. I had uh, no idea that there was like a, like a process <laughs> to it. I just assumed that someone just was like, yeah, I want the thing that I have to wear like a backpack that looks really uncomfortable. I want to start there.
1: Well, actually, my, my mother told me... Um, she got me to want to play French horn because she was like, you can get like serious scholarships uh, if you play French horn. And I was like eight at the time, not really like it's wild to be talking about scholarships I, when you're eight yeah. with a French horn, but go ahead go on. Well, but, but she did a great job of explaining what that actually meant to have yeah. a scholarship to something. And she, she was like, you know, look, choose any instrument that you like the sound of uh, here are what instruments sound like. And then that being said, and I was probably like, I love the French horn sound. And she's like, well, later in your life, it means that you could go to like a cool college. And by the way, when I was eight, my brother's 18. So he's going to college and she's able to be like, look how it like costs a lot of money to go to college. Anyway, spoiler to all of that is I did not get a scholarship. For yeah. toy, so it didn't matter. <laughs> Um, what, what made you want to start playing a, a
0: horn instrument like that?
1: Um, I don't really know. I think it was the sound. Uh, I, I really, the French horn is still my favorite sounding instrument in the world. Um, I think it was really just, I well, okay. There is <laughs> part of it was the idea of like, I was very into, um, fantasy stuff and medieval stuff. And I think a trumpet or a French horn, like horns and brass in general, were really kind of like the most medieval thing mm. that existed, you know? And I and I always kind of wanted to like emulate that in some way. Um, so I think that was really like, that's the sound that I was kind of chasing after was the, the like anthemic thing. Like a French horn blast is like, to me, one of the coolest sounds in the world when you can really just like blare, yeah, uh, like in a movie or something. It's like a, a like a triumphant, cool sound or sure, dramatic. You, were you ever into jazz with uh with learning
0: these horn instruments?
1: So I got into playing bass. My sister and my brother were both bass players, so wow. I got into playing bass uh, for jazz band. Um, I was like second chair to a really, really good bass player. So I like never got to play. Um, so I would play like congas or kabasa mm-hmm. or something. Uh, and, uh, but I would learn how to play bass and like notes on the instrument and everything, uh, which set me up. Cause that's right around the time that I joined, um, that band with Eric. So I was able to, and that band, uh, again it was like 12 and 13 those guys were writing sheet music for all of our songs uh they would write full on full songs that would have sheet music for everything it was all on uh they would write on guitar pro uh if you're familiar with that and it's like just like some it, it like does notes in tabs okay and uh so i would uh they w- we would all have our sheet music and just be able to like play the song uh with each other and they they were writing amazing shit like i didn't write like anything for that band um but yeah that was it was really like, cool because it was like i was already reading this sheet music um for jazz band and then they would bring in this awesome uh <laughs> like rock sheet music right
0: did uh, so it sounds like you come from a pretty musical family. Did your your folks play music?
1: No, they uh, so my dad played clarinet and my mom played coronet, uh, but only for like a couple years apiece. Mm-hmm. Um, they and they were never into like choir or anything like that, and they always refer to that as like very oddball. You know, it's very weird because all three kids are currently in bands and like you know my my brother plays music my sister's in a punk band in St. Louis like that's awesome we all we all make music uh and i don't know they yeah they had no <laughs> they they just kind of influenced i think my brother to follow like he played trombone when he was 7 uh, up until it, throughout high school and so for us we always looked at it as like this is the coolest thing you can do is yeah. play in band um And we would watch him go on like band trips and stuff. Uh, And it was funny, like when I joined band in like third or fourth grade, whatever that was, uh, I remember really clearly um, there was this kid that was like the cool kid in our class. And he wasn't, he didn't go to the like band, you know, signing up for band thing. And I like asked him, I was like, why aren't you, what's happening? Why aren't you going to this thing? And he was like, band is fucking lame. Like, you know, like band is uh, for losers. And I was like, that's impossible. My brother <laughs> did it. Like no fucking way.
0: Oh, man. Uh, so the band that you that you joined with Eric when you were 12, um, did that band last pretty long? And, and did that just dissolve and kind of just turn into foxing?
1: yeah kind of it's so that band lasted um i don't know like five or six years something like that oh, wow. um did you, and we so made did you put out records and stuff yeah we made a, a we had like an ep and an album um that like even listening back to it, it's like pretty good it's not you know did it come out on a label and stuff like that or was it self? oh no it was all we didn't know what a label was sure um but yeah, we, I mean, we never like toured or anything. We just put out this stuff. I think we were all really into recording. Um, mm-hmm. That band was also like just a, a side note of it is like that, that band was instrumental. And we had a practice where we were like, uh, you know, we should probably, one of us should probably sing. And we all wrote our own lyrics and sang uh, over the same song and then determined that my, Singing in my my lyrics were the least horrible, and that's how I became a singer. I really didn't want to do it, but like it was, it was like we all had to try, and then we all decided who was who did like the least bad. Um, wow! Yeah. That, did you did you vote against yourself? Were you like I oh, think I'm it's sure? <laughs> I I guarantee I was like that's probably not me. I don't want to do it.
0: Yeah, um, right. Well, I'm curious. Then, what was uh what was the first show you played with that band? And what was that? Do you remember much about it?
1: Okay, yes. Oh, I remember everything about it. Okay. This is the fucking wildest shit. So we we played at a place called the Midwest Music Pit. Uh, it was this really, really weird... I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but this is a venue that when you walked in, it was like a real venue. And when you walked in, they would say, who are you here to see? And then you would say, which band? There'd be like six bands playing and then they would ru- tally on each band you've d- experienced this okay there's a venue here called the cobalt cafe that
0: did this and i'm curious to see how it leads to like w- like what the deal was so keep going
1: it was so weird so it's like uh it, that, that's how you get paid at the end yep. um and it was like you know in some ways some weird ways like kind of cool <laughs> it was like you're playing like first of 10 Uh, but like you got all your, you know, your family to go to it or the kids at your school to go. So you actually ended up getting paid something, um, which is like kind of cool, but also like really weird. Uh, Uh, just not uh, just so, so you could get a vibe of what, so ours
0: was, uh, yeah, they like you tally how many, how many people are there for you, but after you don't get paid until at least 30 people. Are there for you? Uh, And then it's but then get this. It's one dollar a head for every person after 30. So it's funny. The pros of this venue was that you could call and play a show. Anyone can play this place, but they would charge like $10 a head on the show and then you do the math when you're older and you're like, oh my what, god, yeah, this place what was taking fuck? such advantage of people.
1: <laughs> oh, that's exactly how it was for this, because not only okay, that, yeah. but also... Well, uh, anyway. Yeah, go ahead. Anyway, the, the, this is a sleazy crazy place that, yeah, okay. you know, very classic, like, take total advantage of, like, the fact that it's, like, children playing the shows that don't know what's... Hap- this exactly. is, like, their first time doing it, so they're like, I guess this is cool. Exactly. Um, but... We we practiced for like two years before we like actually did this. And we had so many songs and we were like always like the first show we play is going to be fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. We're going to put everything we have into this. So number one, I, uh, we played the song, but part of it was we brought a full organ onto the stage. Um, we brought, I, I played French horn Uh, for a couple songs uh i also we started the set because i i can't remember for the life of me why i got really into it but i got really into musical saw for a short time okay neutral milk hotel it was neutral milk hotel definitely i never placed it but that is exactly why i was into it sure (laughs) i appreciate you Knowing immediately, because well, it's the I, only
0: band that I've ever seen live yeah. that used a goddamn saw, so yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, but I didn't have a musical saw, I had my dad's saw that, like, what you so all yeah, I knew was an I, actual I could, saw. Yeah, I could make it make noises, but I couldn't make it actually like play a melody or anything. I knew how to do like the S curve, is what mm-hmm. they call it. Uh, and then you like bow it so this is the first show we've ever played and we're like miking a musical saw to like open the thing and then like doing all of this like weird shit. And it's also just like, I'm making it sound like it's this crazy avant-garde experimental uh, thing that we were doing. It wasn't really like, if you ever listened to it, it's like, it's not nearly (laughs) as crazy as I'm making it out to be, but we were just doing these kind of like stunts to make it like be more like these bands that we love so much. Um, so anyway, that was, eh, I'm sure we played to like, you know, 10 people that were all related to us. Um, I love lugging an organ and all of this stuff for like,
0: yeah, it's like, yeah, you play to a handful of, a handful of people. Do you remember though, like feeling uh, like, like what, how you felt during the performance? Like, did it, did it inspire you to be like, this is what I want to do with my life for sure. Like, I love this. Or was it more nerve wracking?
1: I don't think the first time was like that. I think that the first time we did that, it was like the most mortifying thing of like, nobody cares and like, this is so embarrassing. You know, especially when you do something like that in front of like your family, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, you know, uh, them out, like, you know, like, it's like, (laughs) it's like somebody's parents are like, man, you guys totally rocked it. (laughs) And you're like, oh my God, I feel like... Such a loser right now. Yeah, uh, but eventually it's like I think once we started playing, um, at, not at that venue, but like when we started playing at like the Lemp Art Center, it was you know this DIY place where it's like, you know, you're surrounded by like, uh, like kind of punky people that are just like really into it and like moshing and, uh, just kind of like screaming lyrics back at you or whatever um and once we got to that point I think that's when I was finally like okay I actually really love this sure Uh, the time before like in between those two things I think I was way more just obsessed with uh, like writing and recording stuff uh that was that was what I was all about and the live stuff was just kind of like a, a product of that um, so I'm, so
0: I take it that that band, you know, you mentioned, um, that you did an EP and an LP, um, when you were recording, was it self-recording? Cause it sounds like everybody oh, yeah. was pretty. Yeah. Okay. Was, um, was the Albatross the first record that you went to a recording studio for?
1: Uh, well, kind of. So the second, the LP that Torchlight Red did, we did with like our guitar teacher at his house. Um, and it was kind of half, us doing stuff and then half him doing it. Um, But yeah, the, I think, well, and then Foxings first, we did like um, an EP and two splits. And uh, with the first EP, we, uh, the person that we share the studio with Ryan, um, he did that EP. uh, And I think that was really, it really felt like the first time that we had ever truly like, gone in and actually worked on something in a studio. Um, wait, no, that's not true. That first EP that Torchlight Red did, uh, Torchlight Red recorded was with Ryan as well. I completely forgot about this, but we went to, he, he was in a band called So Many Dynamos. Yep. That was, do you know them? Funny enough, when I was researching all this
0: stuff to talk to you, I saw that this person that you did that record with was in that band. And my band before Touche, definitely played shows with them
1: whoa that's because, crazy
0: because yeah it was at what the was time, that band called they're called we were called thriller it was like thriller yeah we definitely i mean we played we 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 played missouri but we played uh marshall missouri like okay. i'm talking very sm- yeah. <laughs> very very like small off the beaten path house shows and stuff yeah. like that like we, I don't think we ever really played a major city ever. It was always because we were a band that like booked tours on MySpace and we would yeah. play anywhere. So, like, <laughs> but we were, you know, we were basically the bands that we toured with were like, or like played shows with were always like, uh, early Terra Melos, uh, oh, So Many yeah. Dynamos, um, Fall of Troy, uh, Heavy, oh, yeah. Heavy Lolo, like a lot of the like very Ooh. kind of sassy. It was a very in this, it was a very. Very sassy, it was a sassy time. <laughs> it, was a, it was a sassy, sassy time. But yeah, it's funny. I saw that name and I hadn't thought about that name since probably 2005 when we would have probably played with them. 2004. Um,
1: so so many Dynamos were yeah. heroes to us. Like sure. they were the band um, that every, I mean, like in St. Louis, it was like there is nobody, it's like nobody even gives a shit about this is not true. Uh, Wilco is like kind of from St. Louis, but (laughs) everybody does give a shit about Wilco. But at the time, it was like so many dynamos. is the band. The St. Louis band. And anyway, they. uh, it's funny like, you know, when you look back at things like this, where you're like, oh, they weren't like, Ryan wasn't like in some like, he wasn't a rock star. He was like in a, like a, a touring tiny band that was just from St. Louis. But to us being like, you know 13 at the time we were like this is as good as it gets sure. and the fact that he uh allowed us to record at his, in his basement was such a big deal to us uh realizing later that it's like yeah he's like oh you're going to pay to like come and when we learned later that we were the first people to ever pay him to record uh so anyway uh that was our first experience which is the most eye opening thing that uh really convinced me to, uh, get into audio engineering, which is what I went to college for. Oh, okay, cool. Um,
0: yeah, it's, it, it feels like you and your band are like total workhorses when it comes to recording and like, you love that side of it. Do you, do you enjoy the recording experience more than even like touring and things like that?
1: Yeah, I think, um, I think, I mean, we get into this thing of like not wanting albums to be done being made because we're just like, you know, especially on these last two records we've made, it's like because we're doing it in-house and like we're not paying for studio time or whatever. uh, We kind of want to just keep working on it and not want the experience to be done. I mean, we get so sick of each other. We hate each other uh, by the end of it, but like it's really just something where like, I mean, I think Eric and I on this album are, we're just like, we're at this point of like truly being uh, like feeling like we're like family on it where you just like, I hate Eric and I also like <laughs> love him more than anyone in the world. Uh, right. And I, I hope vice versa, uh, at least on the second part of that. <laughs> I know, I know we hate each other when we're like doing this, but also like, There is like nobody else that I want to be like, you know, arguing with over like, uh, you know, uh, the time signature of uh, the end of a song or something. Sure. You know, because of that, I think when we go on tour, it becomes it's so straightforward in that, you know, you're going to go to a show, you're going to play. You're going to hope that it sells well. You're going to hope that you you do well in merch. And you're going to play a show and you're going to give it everything you have. And like, we seriously, like we fucking put it all on the line every time. It, you know, hurt every, <laughs> every show we do. But also it's like, I just know I'm going to go like 100% every time. And we're going to put on, we're going to perform the best that we possibly can. But that is like, To me, it's like it's so straightforward as opposed to like recording and writing where it's like literally anything can happen at any moment. We can truly, you know, take a mic and just like uh, go like roll down a hill with it or something. You know, like you can literally do anything and record it. Um, And that to me is like, like that is the true freedom and the true like uh what music means to me is just like being able to have that sort of like uh just like open world uh we can do anything that we want right here we're not confined to any like rules and i think that's uh you don't really get that when you play live you know there's like there's Even, a mouse- there some of it
0: i mean you mentioned you know anything can happen that's about as close as you can get to because but when anything can happen in a live setting is is potential it feels more negative <laughs> like yeah well yeah exactly anything can happen up here but <laughs> but yeah no i get what you're saying with recording though where it's like well, yeah, it's, it's even like, you like get inspired you and just do it
1: yeah well it's also like you can't uh when you're playing live i think it's the thing that kind of bothers me sometimes when we're playing live is that you get into the routine of it all where you're like you're playing the same set every single night around the same time. And you know, exactly like I, there was a, t- there was a while where I was just getting like super, like either, you know, smoking a bunch of weed or like eating edibles while we were on tour and being totally fucking fine to like play any show. Even if I'm like way, like uh, we played a show at the Nile. I'm sure you've played. uh Sure have. <laughs> And uh, somebody gave us, like, uh, pop brownies that were... And they were like, they're really weak. And I oh, no. was like, okay. And I ate, like, a whole one. And we all mm. did. And <laughs> while we were playing, we all looked at each other. And we were like, what the fuck is happening right now? And there it was this crazy thing. But we watched a video of us playing. And it was, like, totally fine. No fuck-ups. Yeah. We were all out of our minds. Like, accidentally, like, the highest I've ever been on stage uh, <laughs> per... A brownie that was uh we were told was like weak
0: yeah but anyway it was it was, it was uh it was mesa week <laughs>
1: yeah exactly <laughs> but it's like uh i think that that to me is a negative where it's because like, you're, you're on autopilot i understand exactly like being on autopilot is just it just keeps happening uh whenever you go on tour for long enough and especially like when you get to the end of an album cycle, where you've not only played over and over again on a tour, but like you've played tours that are like the same fucking songs over and over again. And I it's just to ask, something, yeah. I, I want to ask you about that actually,
0: because we we've sort of had this conversation within ourselves because, uh, you know, obviously putting out a record when we couldn't do anything, um, you know, and as you mentioned with attention spans and stuff, you know, normally we've been taking. Three three years, four years between records. Now, now we've started to be like, should you start writing a new record? And part of the conversation is like, I feel like you need to exhaust the record that you just did before you go do a new one. That's like kind of a, I mean, and no one's disagreeing. We're all you know kind of seemingly on the same page, but it's like you have to learn everything about that record you've done by playing it live and making yourself almost sick of playing those songs to be like now I'm inspired to go write, as opposed to, like, do you want to just write? You know?
1: Yeah, I I am... Um, I think I'm, like, the bane of Eric's existence with this exact thing, because I think Eric would entirely agree with you. Uh, I mean, we've had a conversation where Eric's like, I'm fucking tapped. Like, I can't do... I can't write more stuff right now. Um, and for me, it's like, we got to go. You know, like, yeah. we're... This is, like... You know, we're at a point in in the music industry where like nobody fucking cares about like how good a thing is. They just want it like more all mm-hmm. the time. Like you know, we put out a song. We put out a song that uh, we we made a music video for that is like animated, and it's rotoscope animation, which I learned how to do for this video. And it we put four hundred hours into this thing. It was like months of work, and it what it did when we released it was about as much as like a TikTok would do because people just like seemingly just don't give a shit. They just, they're just like, yeah, okay. That was cool. But like, where's the next one? Uh,
0: Music videos in general are kind of that conversation now where it's like, yeah, you're the amount of plays you're going to get on an expensive music video will not even come close to the amount of plays it's going to get on
1: Spotify. Exactly. But what I'm ramping up to here is really yeah. that like, I am wrong with everything that I just said. Like, yeah. I I think it is the truth that people are that way. But that should not affect us as musicians. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure you saw like everybody freaked out about it. Like the Spotify CEO saying like, artists have to put out an album every two years, <laughs> right, uh, or yeah. else like they're fucking up. And it's like, that is the way that my mind operates when i let it um i'm like we gotta go we gotta do more we gotta just like before this one's even out we gotta make another one uh but i'm fucking wrong about that like it's what you just said is like the fucking truth like you gotta you gotta exhaust that to the point especially for a band like us like with everything i was saying before about like letting other things influence us it's like we got to get this one out of our system so that mm-hmm. we can let the next thing happen because it starts it's like w- whether you know it or not it's
0: while you're on tour or whatever playing those that record it's like it's already gestating what the next thing is coming is already sort of gestating in you because exactly because you you're learning because when i just when i talked to pat uh, Flynn the other night we're at one point we talked about about how an album i brought up how like i feel albums live in four different worlds because there's um the world in which you're writing it the world in which you record it the world in which other people are now being able to hear it when it's released and then the world in which it's being performed live and all four of those experiences are very different and you learn something from each
1: one of those which then you can apply going forward you know i totally agree and i think like um, of those four things, I feel like especially the uh, and I, I, I feel I want to ask you this like that that last one, like the way that you perform it in front of people is so important to like actually experience with a record. And I feel like I am operating right now in the world that I would I would assume, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but I would assume that you were operating in, which is like, well, because this is only living in this digital space, we don't have the ability to experience that that part of it, that extremely crucial aspect of how an album exists. And for that reason, like, has the thing even come out? Has the thing even, like, did it even matter? You know, like, I think that there's, there's a school of thought of, like, this kind of, um, you know, I just watched that Bo Burnham uh, special where it's like, which I, I, there's a part of it where he's talking about how, like, uh, you know, we live in this digital world, and it feels sometimes like we uh, we use the real world as this coal mine to extract resources from, and then bring it back to the 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 real, like the digital world that we actually care all about. And for that reason, and it's like that is how I feel because we can't play shows because we can't interact. And actually perform and everything. And I think it's like, I think it's poisoning me to a point where I am like, that's why I'm like, I'm breathing down Eric's neck and going like, we got to make something, man. Like, you know, this isn't going to matter. Like, it's just going to be like a tweet. Nobody's going to care a day after it comes out. And it's like, that's just not true. It's just a matter of like, it's yeah. like a, a quarter of the experience of a record is missing right now. Yes, it's fun. again. I when, just said so much, but I was. No, no. Say, you're is total- that how you felt about lament? Yeah, yeah. It is. It is. And even when I
0: interviewed uh, Julian Baker, it was like right when her record had come out, and we were talking. I mean, we were bonding over that same thing, where it's like, the- yes, the record is available to people right now, but it's not. It hasn't been experienced yet, you know. And yeah. it's a whole other thing. And we, you know, all we have, all of us are collectively in a club together where we're you know like we're all in this like kinship where it's like you know i really hope that by the time we get the tour that people do come out and let this album have the life that it you know we feel it deserves
1: you know i agree i mean and i think like you know if everybody was actually as uh i think if everybody was on the same team the way that i feel like they should I think it would be up to artists that are like currently releasing stuff to actually like bring out bands from that time. Um, Like I I would think like, you know, for you guys and for like Bartice and Julian, like uh, bands that are actually like releasing something in the moment would have the kind of like, I don't know, like the decency to go like, you put out this amazing thing and never got to tour on it. Like you get the fuck out here. Let's like, let's really show them because like, you know, it's it, going back to the thing that you were saying about like thrice, uh, you know, not knowing if uh people are going to really like want, like, this is like the album yeah. just came out kind of thing. It's like, I think that that is an amazing thing that like, you know, thrice is bringing, bringing you out. Uh, And like, I, I mean, I don't know if thrice, does thrice have a new record coming out. That might not be it. Uh,
0: I think the, I'm assuming they have. So I think they've, recorded. I think they're going to have probably something out by that time. Hopefully I'm not spoiling something for Thrice right now, but um, yeah. <laughs> I, have, I have to imagine if they've announced a tour that they have something. But hey, maybe they won't. I don't know. Um yeah, you know, actually uh because I, you know, I've already I've already eaten up an hour of your day here. I wanted to just really quick ask um cuz you did the second record with Matt Bayless and the third record with Chris Walla. Um uh-huh. were you was, was that an interesting departure from like doing everything yourself to work with these other people?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. And I think um, I'm so glad that we did work with uh, Bayless and then Walla and then uh, Eric just did it on his own. And uh, John Congleton mixed it. Uh, mixed this new one? This new one, yeah. Oh, and awesome.
0: So, Man, he's he's awesome.
1: He's incredible. Uh, but with all of them, it's this weird thing where it's like they're all so, so good. And every single time, it, it was this crazy thing of like, um, I mean, the Albatross was just, like, kind of cobbled together. Uh, Ryan, So Many Dynamos, Ryan Wasaba uh, worked on, he mixed it and, like, was a part of the whole recording process and everything. Um, but it was so, like, you know, just truly, like, cobbled together, like, uh, record wherever we can for yeah. no money. Um, but anyway, like, Dealer, we, uh, working with Bayless was incredible. He did everything. Yeah. is a producer engineer mixer uh that and then we realized like well we do want to have a heavier hand in actually recording so on uh uh near my god eric co-produced it with walla and then walla mixed it and then then we said like well actually eric is kind of just capable of doing all of it um but let's let's save mixing for somebody else. And especially we got Congleton. So we are like, well, let's definitely do that. Yeah. Uh, and then from this, now we realize like, we actually want Eric to mix it too. Like, you know, it's, but it's slowly transitioning to the point where it's all self-sufficient. Yeah. While learning from each of those people along the way, we learned insane things from each of them. Uh, sure. That got us to a point where now it's like, in full confidence, like, yeah, the next thing we do, it's like, Eric is going to produce an engineer. I'll be engineering. Uh, Eric will mix it, you know, like we'll be able to really, it's all going to be like in this room, essentially. Um, did, uh, did you do something with Andy Hall on the new record? Yeah. So I remember him talking about that. Yeah. So first it was like, I was showing him, we did a tour with him, uh, with him, with Manchester, uh, (laughs) <laughs> and him uh <laughs> but uh for that mean everything to nothing tour um oh that's right that's the last time i saw you because we both played that same uh north carolina that's right that was you know what it might yeah i think we were playing at the same time and i was able to catch a lot set i think that's what it was um that makes sense but uh the yeah so during that tour we were uh I was showing Andy demos and lyrics. We were talking about it. And, and at one point I was writing this song that was, it's like the second song on our album. And it was written about this guy, John Franzese Jr. Who is like a mafia son, like a, the son of like the mob boss in New York. Um, and I was writing it cause he was like, he essentially wore a wire and got his dad uh, in put in jail uh, mm-hmm. because the um, like the FBI had all this stuff on him. It's like a real story. And I was writing it. It was like one of the first times I ever wrote like an actually like straight up kind of an attempt at like a real somebody else's story. And I was really struggling with it because um, I was doing this thing where I was like trying to write like a Machiavelli inspired thing, like trying to combine the Prince by Machiavelli with this story Um it was really weird, and I didn't have uh, a true, like, I I, I didn't, I, I was struggling with, like, actually making it work as a song, uh, lyrically. And uh, Andy was so helpful with that song uh, that at a certain point, like, Eric and I were talking, and I was like, you know, Eric helps out so much when I'm writing lyrics, but there's some kind of thing between the two of us where it's, it doesn't exactly, like, amount to like a pitch session of like what if you change this what if you change this it's more of kind of like it sounds good it's like it's kind of the same way that we work with uh when he's writing guitar because he's a far better guitarist than I am so like anyway what we talked about was like what if we brought in Andy to uh help with like lyrics on this and we asked him and he was immediately like yeah definitely so uh, we would have these zoom calls. Of course this started, like we came to that conclusion as like the world shut down. Yeah. So we were having these zoom calls, uh, until a point where we were like, cause the plan was always go to Atlanta and, uh, work on stuff in their studio. Um, and finally we got to a point where like everybody test got tested and like, we all quarantined ourselves. And then Eric and I went to Georgia to like we uh, were planning on being there for, I think, like, four days and ended up being there for, like, a week and a half. Um, and we just, every day, we would work. Andy and Rob would come in and work on stuff. Jamie, who uh, runs the studio, was there the whole time. And then they would all leave, and Eric and I would just be up all night just, like, messing around with stuff and working on songs. It was just a really perfect environment to... Uh, uh, to hit like the midway point on an album you know like when you've written the initial ideas for the songs and you've really got them in a place where it's like okay i think these are good but like these songs aren't in any way done right it's the perfect midway point to get from there to like and now it's just about cleaning everything up and making it really work Sure.
0: So, did you stay at their uh at their house that has like the studio and and the uh, yeah? yeah. Uh, what a cool what a cool thing for a band to have. It's unbelievable. Oh yeah,
1: I stayed in there like um, it's like a the living room where there's a, a Swiss Army man um like cardboard cutout. <gasps> so I had like dead Daniel Radcliffe staring at me while I slept every night. It That's was incredible. Really
0: that's incredible. very upsetting.
1: Um, yeah. Well, so I wrap up, uh, I wrap up each show with asking my
0: guest, um, when the first time you felt like you were doing the thing that you had been working so hard towards was.
1: So I think that there's, uh, okay. So <laughs> this is like a weird thing, but like essentially there was a, a really long amount of time where I really felt like, um, we were always working to being like a huge band, the way that we always perceived giant, enormous artists, you know, like, and it's not like we were like, we're going to get there. It was more like, that's what we're working towards. And I always, I always kind of felt like that. Um, And there was this show that we played in Atlanta on uh, the Near My God tour um, where, we were so we put on the walkout music. Uh, this is like a sold out show at the masquerade, first time we'd ever uh, done something in Atlanta that was like this uh, good. And we put on our walkout music, which is uh, Only Time by Enya, and uh, and like the lights go out, and we heard everybody like you know, uh, applauding and everything. And as we walked out onto the stage, it like It was the first time, and, like, this doesn't happen frequently (laughs) at all, but it was, like, the first time for sure that the screaming from people when we walked out actually, like, hurt my ears. And it was the most, like, it was frightening and exciting and insane. And it, like, in that moment, it really – it wasn't until reflecting on it a little later, like in the moment it was so jarring and upsetting and like (laughs) cool. But uh, reflecting on it later, it kind of like put this thing in my brain of like, it's okay if this is as good as it gets. Like we're actually doing what I actually want. Like I've thought for so long that what I wanted was to, uh in like some like u2 level huge <laughs> band but right. the reality is like i know this is gonna sound weird but like i feel a little bit like what where we are at and i i also think like where touche is at and like a lot of bands in our world is actually at a point where like it's like what kurt cobain wanted nirvana to do you know where it's like it, it, it's not, It it isn't getting away from you. You know, it's not getting to the point where it's, like, it's too big to control or, like, so big that you're, like, you can't go out in public or something. It's actually the thing that he wanted, which was, like, more like Dinosaur Jr., where, you're like, it's something... To me, it's, like, I finally became, like, okay with the idea of, like, actually where we're at is, like, maybe doing, like, being uh, inspiring to, like younger artists to make music um as opposed to being some kind of like household name that everybody knows which is what i thought i wanted for some reason so now at this point it's like realizing that i feel like uh like freezes up to just do things that we consider innovative or cool rather than trying to make something that's like appealing to the people that you know wouldn't give a shit no matter what we did um so that, that was for me, like that was the moment where it wasn't just like, uh, we're doing what I, I always wanted, but it more like it's the moment where I realized like, this is actually what I want to do. It's not, um, it's nothing more than this. If this was the plateau, it would be totally cool.
0: I love that. That's a great answer. Everything about that was awesome. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, dude, uh, Connor, thank you so much for, for, uh, for hanging out with me today. This is, this is very pleasurable
1: of course and thank you for having me i'm uh i am so excited to come hang out with you in person yeah. someday soon yeah absolutely absolutely we're gonna make that happen all right yeah. man have a good day you too all
0: right that's our show thank you so much to connor murphy for coming on and hanging out with me uh reminder their record comes out august 6th and uh, you can pre-order it now Head on over to the Patreon if you got a second. That's patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon to support the show if that feels like something you want to do. Or just, you know what? You can help by subscribing on, a, on Apple or Spotify or maybe leaving a nice rating and review on Apple. All right, take care of yourself. I'll see you next week.